All right. Good morning. We are going through a series on the book of Genesis, and it's called Finding God in Ordinary Time. And if you're aware of the church, church liturgical year, we have um, things like Easter and Pentecost and Christmas. And in between those seasons, we have ordinary time. So it's really easy to think of ordinary time as kind of boring and nothing much is going on. But ordinary time is when we do most of our living. And it's really where God is often involved in subtle ways that we don't always pick up on. So we're going through the book of Genesis, which is the, you know, a long story about the beginnings and um, just seeing how God works in the midst of that. So last week we did not do Genesis 24. Um, we did something different. So I'm going to give you a quick summary of Genesis 24. This was, so Abraham wants his, his son Isaac to have a wife that's not from the pe people where they're living right now. He wants, um, sorry, Isaac to have a wife from his ancestors. So he sends a servant back to where he was from to get a wife for Isaac. And the servant is successful, comes back with Rebecca. Really kind of a crazy story because the servant just goes and he meets Rebecca and, and she travels back with him to a different land, um, leaving her family. Like, pretty, pretty crazy move on Rebecca's part. But it all goes well and Rebecca and Isaac are married. Hooray. So that was last week. This week is going to be Jacob and Esau and the very expensive bowl of soup. Which you'll see later. It's very true. Um, Genesis 25. So we're going to be talking about the whole chapter, but um, it's kind of three parts. The first two parts are just kind of wrap up some loose ends, and then the third part is about Jacob and Esau, and that's the part that we're going to focus on. So I'm going to read a bunch of this stuff to you, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Genesis 25, the death of Abraham. So remember, Sarah died. Abraham's wife, Sarah, died. So Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Joksan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Joshan was the father of Shiva and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the, the Latushites, and the Lumanite, Lumites. The sons of Midian were Ephath, Ephor, Hanak, Abidah, and Elaah. These were the descendants of Keturah. Those are great names. I'm sure you're, you're enjoying this, right? You're like, you didn't know this, did you? Okay, if you were alive during this time, this, this would mean a lot more to you than it does to us. But for the sake of completeness, you know, I'm going to read it. Um, 
Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, right? Because Isaac was his chosen son. And while he was still living, he gave, sons, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. So Abraham kind of did what he could to make sure that Isaac was well prepared for, to follow God and to be successful. Abraham lived 175 years, and then he breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah, after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Bir Lahai Roy. Hooray. So that was this, the end of Abraham's story, and now we're talking about Ishmael's story. So this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whose Sarah's slave, Hagar the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, which I'm not going to read. Those were the sons of Ishmael, and <laughs> these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt as you go towards Asher and they lived in hostility towards all the tribes related to them. And here's what we're more interested in, Jacob and Esau, starting at verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the... Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The, baby, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, 
quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. And that is why he's also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his, despised his birthright. A very expensive bowl of stew. So we're going to go through this passage a little. Um, first of all, Rebecca is barren, and we've seen this before because Sarah was barren for many years as well. It seems to be um, something God likes to do is make a promise. You're going to have a child, and then there's a long delay, and you kind of just have to wait and be patient and, and grow. So Isaac prays, and then they conceive. There's a jostling in the womb, and it's a little hard to know exactly what this means. I mean, babies jostle, that's kind of a thing, right? You know, as so I'm told, I've never been pregnant myself, but, um, you know, you can feel them inside. But this seems to be something a lot bigger than that, because Rebecca was quite upset about it. So she sensed some sort of conflict, something big going on. So Rebecca inquired of the Lord, also interesting, since she's a female and this was, you know, a male-dominated society. So she presumably went to some holy place and inquired of the Lord, and he said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So basically God is reinforcing that there is conflict going on here. There's going to be a separation. And instead of the eldest being the one in charge, which was normal in that society, it will be the opposite. So twin boys were born. The first to come out was red. Red's important. Remember that. His whole body was like a hairy garment, this is doesn't seem to be a pretty baby, <laughs> you know, a hairy red baby. Okay, so they named him Esau, and Esau comes from Asa, which means rough or hairy. Great name. <laughs> After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Jacob comes from Akav, which is heel catcher or supplanter, usurper. Also a great name, great heritage. So they could, the birth was very quick. Often when there's twins, there's time between the two, but this, they both, one after the other. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open, open country. So Esau was much more of a, an outdoorsman. He liked adventure. Isaac was much more a man of the tents. He was peaceful. You can imagine him sitting by the fireside, reading his books, you know. So um, Isaac loved Esau, Rebecca loved Jacob. 
So it sounds like a great setup for a lot of conflict, right? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to love your kids the same, but um, there seems to be a favoritism here, and so there's a lot of division between the two boys and in the parents, with the parents themselves. So then we get to the big event. Uh, Jacob's cooking some stew. Um, Esau comes in. And he's been hunting, and I guess it hasn't gone well because he's hungry, famished. He says, if you read Hebrew, in the Hebrew he says, give me some of that red, red. I'm famished. So he doesn't even, he doesn't even have time to say, give me the stew. He's just perishing from hunger. And it's red stew, which is why Edom is called, why Esau is called Edom, because... Adam means red. Yeah, I already said that. So, Jacob is very clever and deceitful as well, and very calm. So in the face of his brother's anxiety, he says, oh, just sell me your birthright. You can have some stew. And he says, well, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright? I'll be dead. So he sells it for a bowl of soup. Good. <laughs> and he despised his birthright. So I don't know. To me, this seems really crazy. Like Esau was being very dumb. But then I thought about dumb things I've bought in my life. And this is, <laughs> this is a sweet car. This is a, a 1980s Malibu station wagon. Now, the car itself is not a bad car. Um, when I was in university, we had no money, and we had a baby, another baby, our third child, and our little car had gotten too small, so we had to get a bigger car. So we had, I think I had $1,500. So you know, you can get a real nice car for $1,500. And I spent a lot of time trying to find something decent, and I was getting more and more exasperated with the process. And then I found this sweet baby, and I bought it. And it wasn't bad, I thought, until, you know, we drove it a bit, and it was really loud over bumps. And I looked underneath, and the whole back of the car was completely rusted. So if you went over a bump, the back of the car would actually lift off of the frame and bounce around. So it was, it was really bad. Like, it was dangerous. Um, and of course, it was all the money we had. We were broke at that time. So it was, well, okay, I, we have to use it. So, you know, I, I, I got some steel and I kind of tried to bolt it all together and <laughs> hoped that it would last. Um, so that's one of my worst, worst purchases. Not a lot of money per se, but it was all we had. So it was a lot of money. Um, in the end, it worked out because a relative saw the car and was terrified that we were driving children around in it, <laughs> so they gave us a much nicer car. Good times, hey, Rose? <laughs> Rose, to her credit, did not uh, say much to, about how bad the purchase was. <laughs> so Esau, going back to our story, Esau was a man of exciting experience, a hunter, an outdoorsman, thrill of the chase, 
You know, he was a very physical kind of person. He'd be, he'd be an exciting person to be around for the most part, but he's also had a tendency to be a little rash and a little unthinking. And Esau, sorry, also Isaac's favorite, Jacob was kind of the opposite. He was much quieter, he, more of a peaceful man, um, a, much, a lot of a thinker, but also kind of a schemer. Um, I'm sure you've met people like this who, rather than do something with themselves, put a lot of effort into getting you to do it for them. That's the kind of person Jacob is. He'd be a good businessman, really. He'd probably be a very rich man in our society because he'd have always find these ways to beat the system and get what he needs. And he's Rebecca's favorite. So, yeah. So this is about the inheritance. In biblical times, the eldest son would become the spiritual and physical head of the family when the father died, and he would receive a double portion of all the assets. Um, and this was Esau's birthright that he sold for a bowl of stew. So now Jacob becomes the firstborn by rights. And this is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise back in verse 23 when God told um, Rebekah that the young, older would serve the younger. And as we go on in this story, we'll revisit this in Genesis 27. Um, and as, as per the prophecy, they both become um, fathers of, the, of different nations. Esau becomes the father of the nation of Edom, and Jacob becomes renamed Israel and is the forefather of the nation of Israel. And... Um, So this is interesting to me because there's two sons and one of them is going to be the one who inherits the Abrahamic covenant, becomes, you know, the part of the family line. And if you were God, who would you choose if this was your choice, Esau or Jacob? I mean, they both have rather large flaws. It reminds me a little about this, <laughs> which I am... Sick to death of the U.S. election. But if I was a U.S. citizen, I'd be feeling a little like God. Like, um, I don't know. It's kind of who's the best of two not good candidates. I'm not sure. That's enough of that. God chooses Jacob. So we might question why God did this. I, I've thought about this, and... At least, like, while Jacob's actions are deceitful, he is thinking about the future. He's not just living for the moment. He is pursuing the blessing of the Father. And he is, in his nature, more peaceful than Esau. And if you, as the story goes on, as we read more of Genesis, you'll see that it's not really a bad choice because Jacob, who becomes Israel, um, is, becomes a fairly godly man. He, he does some questionable things, but for the most part, he does a pretty good job. Esau reminds me a lot of Samson, 
in the book of Judges. If you remember, J Samson was uh, um, Samson with his beautiful long hair, you know. That's why I don't get many haircuts, because my strength just fades away. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Samson was, had, was anointed of God, and he, the problem with Samson is he often used it towards his own ends. He was very selfish and rash in using the blessing. So that's probably what Esau would have been like had he received the blessing instead of Jacob. So it seems like God probably made a good choice. Good work, God. Esau becomes the father of a pagan nation of Eden, and Jacob becomes the father of the godly nation of Israel. So for me, this brings up a question. Is, and the question is, did God choose Jacob over Esau because of who they are, or did God choose Jacob and then make Jacob into the person he wanted? So it's kind of a, a free will question. Like, um, how, much do, how much does God do in our lives without us asking or consenting? Um, and there's different views on this. There's some people have the, really think that it's, it's all God that, um, you know, we become Christians because it is God who decides that we're going to become a Christian. That is a very extreme view. And whereas the other view is that it's totally all up to us. Um, and there is no good answer for this because you can argue it from Scripture either way, and I don't have the answer. Um, I know, I mean, different denominations see it differently. I, I like to think that it's a mixture. I mean, I, I don't think it's all about me, but I don't think that God, I think God also respects our personhood. So God does things, and God is doing things in us that we don't ask, but God also respects our free will and our, you know, desires to ask him to help us. So that's what I think is going on there. I think really, ultimately, the reason that God chose Jacob over Esau was about their heart. And God is more concerned about the heart and how you relate, if you want to relate to God deep down inside, than if you screw up and do some stupid action here or there. And Jacob does pursue God. It is with questionable means, but he contrasts that with Esau, who doesn't really seem to care. Esau is much more just living in the moment. First um, Samuel 16. This is after Saul becomes a really bad king, so he needs to be replaced, and the Lord sent Samuel to um, Jesse of Bethlehem to anoint one of his sons to be king. And so they have like this big dinner and all of Jesse's sons come and Samuel sees Eliab, who was a very impressive looking man and thought he was the one to be the next king and the Gord, Gord, <laughs> Gord. You were there, Gordy. <laughs> 
you're everywhere. <laughs> the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So how do we, hmm, or not, Jesus and the apostles, so also Jesus chose very ordinary men that did not look that impressive, but they had a heart for God. So um, how do we cultivate a heart for God? Because I, I know I want to be the kind of person who God would choose. I want to be the kind of person who follows God, and I frequently distracted from that. So what are some of the things we can do to help stay on track? Well, life is full of little decisions, and um, all of those ones are important. So every time you make a little decision, it's either moving towards God or away from God. And we're trying to have all our little decisions towards God because then it becomes a habit, a lifestyle. Hard to do. We try to bring God into everything. And again, you know, um, one of the crazy things about God is that he is intimately concerned about every detail of our life. So there's nothing too little to bring to him. And he's interested in all those things and helping us. Making time for God is important, and this is really hard. Um, if you were here last week, we spent the service going, doing a Lectio Divina, which is just a way of going through a scripture very slowly and focusing on it. Um, yeah, it's a good thing to do. Make, try to find a time each day, even if it's only five minutes, where you can just focus on God. For me, it's in the morning. I get up early, and I'm, I'm alone. The house is quiet, and I can have a space to do that. And Sabbath-keeping, this is very something people don't do much anymore, and it's a lot harder than it used to be because um, everything's always going. It used to be, if you were in a small town a long time ago, everything would just be closed on a Sunday. You couldn't do anything, but now you can do whatever you want any day. But we're also driven to be productive in our society, and we always feel like we're too busy. We always feel like we have something else we have to do. So just the idea of taking a day where you're not doing what you have to do, you're just doing what you want to do, is very liberating, and it creates space in your life to, for God, space to be close. Even if you're not consciously doing something you know, related to God. You're just making more space. And it's very hard when you have young kids to do this, obviously, but you can still... Um, when we had younger kids, my Sundays became days, family days. So I didn't do chores around the house. I spent time with the family. So that was my way of creating space. Another unpopular thing, which is confessing sin, because we all sin, and sin divides us from God. Um, when I wrote this, I thought, hmm, when's the last time I confessed a sin to God? And it was a really long time. <laughs> it's, it's relatively easy to do for 
you know, speaking to God about your sins is a lot harder to do it if you're in a group of people or you're, uh, if you have to tell someone, confess something to someone else and try to make it better. But all of those are really good things for us and help build our relationship with God. And being part of a Bible study or a peer group where you can actually talk about things going on in your life can very much help you draw closer to God. And God seems to like to give us challenges that um, we, we might call them problems, um, that we can either turn to him in the midst of them or turn away. Yep. So it's about us in the sense that God always wants to be with us, and it's our response, really, that's significant. Don't. <laughs> Some things not to do. Don't be an Esau. Don't live through thrills. Don't live for the moment. Not that you shouldn't enjoy things, but that shouldn't be the only reason for your existence. Don't be a Jacob. Don't be a calculating schemer to get what you want. Some people are inherently like this. I have a cousin who's unbelievable. He's going to be a millionaire, I'm sure. Sorry, a nephew. Because he's all about business. He's all about getting stuff. And he's just, he's got all these schemes and all these plans. He's like, what is he? He's 10 now, maybe? Eight years old? Like, he's very young. <laughs> but he just does this naturally. Which God can use, I mean, but it could go really bad for him, too. Anyway, um, <laughs> instead of some things you should do, God gives each of us gifts. There's things we're good at. And what we want to do is submit those things to God so we can use them for his glory. And both Esau and Jacob have characteristics that can be used towards godly ends. So it's not just... We're all of us are a mix of good and bad, a mix of, of we can use our, our gifts for good and evil. And there's the things that I'm tempted about are different than the things you're tempted about because we're all different. The great news is that God is in the midst of all this every day, all the time. He chooses to use broken people like us, which if I was God, I wouldn't do, but he does. It's crazy the amount of grace that God has. And the thing about Genesis, or the whole Bible really, is you can see God's story working through a bunch of broken and messed up people. How crazy is that? <laughs> ah. Some scripture. Um, this is David speaking to his son. David's getting quite old here, and his son's going to be king. So David says to Solomon, um, Acknowledge the God of your father, and serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands, and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. What a great scripture. Other than the ending. I thought of leaving the ending off, but, but it is true. You have to realize he's talking here about not just a bad day where, you know, 
well, I, I didn't follow God today. It, he's talking about like a lifetime of knowing God is real and just not following him and turning the other way. And there's consequences to that kind of behavior. So, let us be a people with a heart for God. Let us be like Jacob in that respect. Like, let us be a people who draws close to God in our hard times, who seek to know God and to do his will. And let us be those who bring God and allow him to heal our hurts so that we can become more human and more complete. Um, we're going to move into communions shortly. Um, and it's just to, as another way of drawing close to God, we're going to have communion together. So communion is many things. One of the things it is, is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. But I think it, there's a lot more that goes on. I think it's not just about, um, you know, having some bread and some juice and remembering Jesus. I think something happens up here, and I think it's something we can't quantify. I think um, that there is some sort of special blessing, some sort of special God meeting with us as we have communion. So that's what we're going to do. Um, can we just, can I get the servers to come up? And then I'm going to read a little from Luke 22, 14. This is uh, Jesus having a Passover meal. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take it and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant to my blood, which is poured out for you. So let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for who you are and that how you desire to be with us. I thank you for... Um, just your presence. And Lord, we pray your blessing over these elements, over the, the juice and the bread, and just that they would be a real sustenance to us. Amen. And Rick? Okay. Um, it's very straightforward. <laughs> 